We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media. We are partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, Justin Mello. What's going on today? I'm excited, Justin. This is going to be a great episode. I mean, first of all, we have a thrilling comeback victory to recap. And then we're going to get into a preview of a really intriguing Week 17 matchup. Uh, with a surging Miami Dolphins football team. The Titans could win the AFC South. Uh, There's playoff implications on the line for both teams, obviously, with Miami going on this win streak. And we have a terrific guest we're bringing on to help us preview it all. Absolutely right. We will have Travis Wingfield on in a bit, host of the Drive Time podcast, which is part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network, and a staff writer for MiamiDolphins.com. He knows the Dolphins team better than anyone, I think. So really excited to get his insight. And yes, the Titans do have a chance to clinch the AFC South because the Colts somehow beat the Cardinals. I don't know. The Cardinals, everyone's praising the Colts for having a great game. The Cardinals like turn the, like snap the ball into the end zone. Can't convert on fourth down, miss three kicks. Like let's Gave pump up a the brakes on. Uh, yeah, self-inflicted let's, safety. Let's pump the brakes here on the uh, Colts love. And now Carson Wentz is on the COVID list and will miss Sunday's game. So the Titans should wrap up the division this weekend. They almost did it last weekend. Let's start with a little bit of news, though. I mentioned Carson Wentz going on the COVID list. The Titans have added a number of guys to the COVID list over the past couple of days. On Tuesday, it was Jayon Brown and Danico Autry making the list. Those two and guys, Cody and sorry. And Cody Hollister. Well, Cody Hollister's technically on the practice squad COVID list, so it's like a different classification, although it means that he can't be eligible to play on Sunday unless he is elevated from that list for or activated off of that list and then elevated from the practice squad. So those three guys join Taylor Lewan still on the list, Nate Davis on the list, Kendall Lamb on the list, receiver Julio Jones, Buster Screen, Bud Dupree. And Nick Westbrook Aquina. So if you're counting at home, that's three wide receivers, three offensive linemen, not a great situation. I mean, Titans have avoided thus far, knock on wood. You never know what's going to happen the rest of this week, but none of their, like, I mean, if Ryan Tannehill gets put on the list, this game is not really worth previewing. But <laughs> as of now, I think the Titans have avoided any major disasters. The wide receiver room looks pretty thin right now. But COVID is putting its stamp on the 2021 NFL season. And it's really a bummer that it's happening in late December when all these games matter so much. And we could see it extending into the playoffs. You hope it doesn't. But what do you think about this Titan situation right now? Yeah, the Titan situation is obviously not a good one. I mean, you said it. Look, the three receivers is probably the the part of it that would concern me the most because Cody Hollister went on the list on Tuesday 
and Julio Jones and Nick Westbrook went on Monday. So there's always a chance that those guys, uh, you know, don't clear protocol by Sunday. These protocols are ever changing. The NFL is, we're not gonna spend a lot of time talking about that because the, 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 by the time you listen to this, it might be different than what it is right now. But essentially the NFL is making it easier for players to return to the, uh, to the field, assuming they are asymptomatic after uh, testing positive. So uh, I think a lot of these guys will probably be back, but all we can do is analyze the situation as it is right now now with Julio uh, Hollister and, and and Westbrook all on the list. I mean, think about it. Those are three outside receivers that would all be in one way or another in line to start opposite AJ Brown, right? Obviously it would be Julio. If he's not available, it would be Nick Westbrook. If he's not available, it would be Cody Hollister. So having all three of them on the list leads to a really peculiar and uh, a high alert situation. You're looking at potentially a Des Fitzpatrick, a Racy McMath, uh, you know, you guys, yeah. guys like Mason Kinsey and Golden Tate on the practice squad, although I find those are slot only players uh, and Chester Rogers is still healthy as of this recording. So uh, right. I don't know how much those two guys would help, but without Hollister, without Westbrook, without Julio, you'd be looking at, you need guys on the outside, right? So you'd probably be looking at McMath and Fitzpatrick. So that is not a good situation uh, on the offensive line. You know, Nate Davis and Taylor Lewan went on the list early enough uh, where you, you you would think they're going to be back in time, but that's obviously not great if they can't. You, you would assume, again, Radins would start at left tackle again, and Aaron Brewer would probably kick over to right guard uh, to replace Nate Davis with Roger Saffold being recently activated on the list, making his way back over to left guard. So, and then you got a pair of defensive tackles now, right? With uh, Dina, Co- or, or sorry, one defensive tackle in Dina Coatry and an outside linebacker in Bud Dupree. That, sh- that shuffles things around there a little bit. More Laurel Murchison, more Kyle Pico, more, more Derek Roberson. So there are so many moving pieces here. Buster Screen has played really good lately. You probably kick Jack Rabbit uh, outside again full time, which we largely expect to happen eventually anyway. Uh, and you're probably you're getting Elijah Molden back, who missed the San Francisco game. He probably kicks inside. Chris Jackson uh, gets into that mix as well. But there are a lot of moving pieces here right now. And all, all you can hope is that, A, you know, the rest of this outbreak. Uh, or there, sorry, there, there is no more of an outbreak coming. Yeah. And uh, a lot of these guys clear protocols by Sunday. Heck, Jayon Brown's another one I wanted to quickly touch on because he's your main uh, uh, linebacker in, in pass coverage, right? At the inside linebacker position. Rashawn Evans and Zach Cunningham are playing really well lately, but they're not giving you a lot in coverage, right? They never have, they, they never will. Uh, what does that do to this game plan? Heck, if you're Miami, this RPO-based uh, passing game, these quick hitters, they want to get the ball out of Tua's hands quickly and efficiently. Uh, you would think they have a chance to attack those linebackers in coverage, right? Run a lot of crossers, five, 10 yards uh, away from the line of scrimmage and attack them in coverage. So uh, there, there are so many potential outcomes here. Yep, that's definitely something to monitor throughout the week. We record this on Tuesday evening, so we have no idea how things will change. You just have to hope that these guys come off the list, that they are asymptomatic and test negative or whatever the new protocols are. They can test negative twice in one day as long as they get two negative tests. That could happen on Saturday. That could happen on Sunday morning. Like, who knows what's going to happen? But that is definitely something to keep your eye on. I think I did a good job covering all bases of what I really, I really do agree. You, you covered everything there. I, the only thing I want to add um, is to the concern on if it's McMath and Des Fitzpatrick. I just want to remind everyone how many turnovers these two guys have caused on like five total targets. It's ridiculous. Running wrong routes, point. fumbling, being in the wrong place. Uh, Tannehill throwing interceptions in that Houston game because Fitzpatrick couldn't line up properly or get to his spot. It would be a disaster if one of those guys had to start outside. I mean, I'll just come out and yeah. say it. Like, 
you're excited about the potential for seeing uh, the Titans like use a draft pick and have them play football for the team. But yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a disaster on offense. And I think that that's something we should definitely talk about when we get a little closer to the Miami preview portion of this podcast. But let's first turn our attention to the Titans dramatic come from behind win against the San Francisco 49ers last Thursday in Nissan Stadium. It was the A.J. Brown show, and I think that's what we knew it could be. And I had talked about it on this podcast and on Around the NFL and other podcasts where I think that A.J. Brown is potentially more important to the Titans offense than Derrick Henry. That seemed to be the case on last Thursday. It seemed to be the case when you watch the Titans offense without A.J. Brown over the last three games, four weeks, that they didn't have him. And the fact that they were able to run the ball for over 200 yards as a team in two of those games without A.J. Brown, and yet not win. They, they lose three of four without him. Or sorry, they lose two of three without him. And then they get him back, and the first half took him a little while to get going. He had, what did he have, five catches on seven targets in the first half, but only for 24 yards, zero touchdowns. Get to the second half. Titans are constantly in third and 10. Like it feels like every single possession and not even every single possession, but like every three downs is third and yeah, 10. multiple times, every possession. <laughs> and then they Tannehill, he had two great completions to Nick Westbrook, Akina on third and tens, but he also had eight completions to AJ Brown, the most ever on third down in the last, what, 40 years in the NFL. You have the stats up. Can you, do you have them ready to yeah, go? Yeah, that was so eight catches on third down, the most by any player since 1978. Jeez. And he accounted for like 70% of the Titans passing yardage just by himself. Tannehill, I don't, I'm not going to say he struggled, but he only threw for 209 yards and 145 of those went to A.J. Brown. Half of Tannehill's completions, 22 completions. A.J. had 11 receptions over half of Tannehill's targets, 16 targets for AJ Brown, 29 attempts for Tannehill. And AJ also had a pass attempt that was really bizarre play call because the Titans offense was actually moving at that point. It's like save that for, you know, the first half when the offense isn't doing anything or I agree when you really need it. But I do want to get into Todd Downing a little bit, but let's talk about this game a little more first, because I feel like it was the Titans defense forcing Jimmy Garoppolo into horrible decisions. And I'm actually surprised when I looked back at the box score last Thursday that they only had two sacks because it felt like there was a lot of pressure and possibly more than just two sacks in my brain. But then obviously they only got two. I think Danico Autry had one. And um, who had the other one? Uh, Bud Dupree. That's right. Bud Dupree had a, uh, that was a coverage sack. Bud Dupree kind of like, I think it was yeah, a stunt looped inside and then chased down Jimmy. You couldn't find anybody open. Great coverage on the play. But the Titans defense started off the game, allowing a long drive, really well schemed by Kyle Shanahan. You know, the 49ers scripted plays are always going to be well schemed and well designed. They goes right down the field, score an opening drive touchdown. Titans quickly punt the ball back to San Francisco. San Francisco drives all the way back down the field again, and it looks like they're about to take a 14-0 lead. It could be a long night in Nashville when Jackrabbit Jenkins jumps in front of a receiver to pick off a ball in the end zone. I don't know what the heck Jimmy G was looking at on that throw, but hey, I'll take it. Jackrabbit gets the pick, and it seemed like things really settled down for the defense after that point. They only allowed uh, 10 more points for the re- over the rest of the game, a field goal, and then 
that late touchdown on what was a pretty insane play by Debo Samuel to get like 60 yards down the field for them. But overall, I mean, this defense continues to play really, really high level football. They finally got some help from the offense, no turnovers by the offense in this game. And it's really, I tweeted it before the game. We talked about it on the podcast before the game. It's like, it's just that simple. Sometimes don't turn the ball over force turnovers and you can win football games. Yeah, it's funny when you look at their last two wins uh, sandwiched in between all all the losses, that's the tail of the tape, right? I mean, they didn't turn over against San Francisco. They forced two turnovers. They didn't turn it over against Jacksonville in their victory before San Francisco, and I think they forced four. Trevor Lawrence had four interceptions in that one. Then you look at all the losses, like the five turnovers against Houston, the four or five against New England, four or five against uh, – what was the other loss? I've already forgotten. Pittsburgh. They turned the ball over three times in ten plays. Three times, three times, ten plays. plays. Yeah. So when they've lost recently, they've turned it over a million times when they've won, they haven't turned it over. So uh, pretty funny how that works. Right. Uh, Certainly not coincidental, but um, this was a tale of two halves, right? Let's be honest. I mean, the offense in the first half was atrocious. I think they had 55 total yards of offense through 30 minutes of play Uh, on first down. They were averaging like a loss of seven yards per first down. It was, Something that doesn't even sound realistic. I mean, whether it was sacks or failed screens or whatever, it was just an absolute nightmare. Uh, And then things completely changed in the second half offensively. And it was really simple. Target A.J. Brown further than three yards down the field and prosper. Yeah, really. And and the screen game was not working at all. I kind of want to get into this Todd Downing talk because it seems like a big hot topic on Twitter right now. Titans Twitter, that is, about is Todd Downing a terrible offensive coordinator? And I was kind of coming to his defense a little bit on Twitter. I obviously don't think he's great. I mean, I don't think he's perfect. He has a lot of things that need to be improved upon. I want to talk about them here in a second. But I also think that like the instinctive fan reaction to just blame the offensive coordinator anytime something goes wrong on offense is like anytime one play happens that doesn't go right. And you're like, oh, why would they call that play? This offensive coordinator sucks. Fire Todd Downing. I had somebody tweet at me that was like, I'm glad the Titans won, but I'm also not that glad because it probably means Todd Downing won't get fired. It's like, what are you rooting for? This is a potential Super Bowl team. You're rooting for the Titans to lose so they fire their offensive coordinator in week 16. What do you like? You have some perspective here, okay? But that said, there are definitely things to be critical about. My least favorite sequence in this game was the Titans drive all the way down the field. It's still 10 to 0 at this point. I think this was their uh, opening drive of the second half. Yeah, opening drive of the second half. They drive all the way down the field. They have, they've hit AJ a few times to move the chains on third and long. They get down to the 22-yard line, hand it off to Deontay Foreman, goes for no gain. Second and 10. What do they do? They try a stupid little screen pass again. The screen passes have not been working at all. Nick Bosa nearly picks it off. I mean, the, the Titans are lucky that the ball floated. It wasn't really a screen. It was like a swing pass to Hilliard and Tannehill like floated it up and it just made it over Nick Bosa's hands, but Hilliard only took it for a two yard gain. And then the very next play, they try to run a little screen to Jeremy McNichols and it gets completely blown up on third and eight. You've been just throw it to AJ Brown on third and eight. Like it's working every time. If it doesn't work on this one, then like, okay, whatever the defense finally stops it. But like, until they are going to stop it, until they put three guys on AJ and force you to go somewhere else with the ball, don't force your own quarterback to go somewhere else with the ball, especially in a game where you've seen the screen not work over and over. Like, so here's what Todd Downing decided to do. 
rather than call a play that has been working all game on third and long and gaining yards. He went to a play that has not been working all game that has been losing yards all season, really. And the Titans end up punting or kicking a field goal there, make it 10 to three. Eventually they go on to tie the game, but like that was a potential drive to make it 10 to seven. And maybe this game doesn't end up so close at the end. If you just keep feeding your best player, this was the opening drive of the third quarter. And I think through the rest of the third and fourth quarter, those adjustments were made and they were like, all right, enough of the screen game. Let's throw it to AJ. And we saw what happened, but that was my biggest criticism. And they're a bit lucky they got uh, on the very next, I think it was the very next play after the field goal, they got the interception from Amani yeah. Hooker, right? Because yeah. that was a huge missed opportunity early in the third quarter. And I had it down in my notes as well. It was a third and eight screen. It was already midway through the quarter too, roughly, because that was a long drive Tennessee put together in San Francisco territory when A.J. Brown had already cooked on that drive. Like he was already had a great drive. So I hated that play call. It was one of three play calls that really stood out to me. Uh, at one point early in the game, they had a second and 18 run. Um, yeah. I, I'm never really going to, I don't know many people that are a fan of a second and 18 run. And then later <laughs> in the first half, they had a third and long draw. Okay. A, a third and long draw while in decent territory. Like they were not backed up on their own 10. I want to say they were at least on the, their own 40. Maybe it was uh, and a third and long draw and they end up punting. Right. So I, I don't know what you're really hoping to accomplish there. You're on your own 40. You might as well, you know, uh, make an attempt to keep this drive going. A a third and long draw is not going to do that, right? I would say 9.99 times out of 10. So those are three play calls that really stood out to me uh, as poor ones. I did tweet out during the game at one point that, and I stand by this, I thought Todd Downing at times this year has received a lot of unfair criticism. I, I don't think a lot of this has had to do with execution, uh, pass protection guys aren't are, are losing battles right it kind of goes back to the old cliche or the old mantra that uh, you know the couch fan it's a great play call when it works it's a bad play call when it doesn't right so I think Todd Downing's been a victim of a lot of that this year where the execution has been off with that said I, I did think he called a terrible first half in this game and, and he deserved that scorn uh, well, that he was receiving through the first half I don't know, because, like, here's my thing is I think this game should have been 10-7 at halftime. Jeff Swaim gets his hands a little bit, too. And, I mean, Jeff Swaim was hardly holding on this Deontay Foreman's long touchdown that got called back. But regardless, well, it Foreman... a touchdown, but, yeah, it was down to the one, I think. That's but, right, yeah. yeah. Foreman did put his fingers inside the face mask yeah. of the defender that he stiff-armed. So it wouldn't have, it, like, it would have been at the 20 or 30 maybe anyway. But right. that... To, to come off of that drive, which was like the first time the Titans had finally started moving the ball and converting some third downs, and then they rip off a huge run that you think is going to result in points at some point, to come away from that drive with a punt was just absolutely demoralizing as from a fan standpoint. And I think that it really colored the way that we viewed the entire first half because, yeah, they only had 55 total yards or whatever, but like if that run had stood, they would have had – closer to a hundred, maybe over a hundred yards. They may have gotten in the end zone at some point on that drive. So I think things would have been way, way different if that drive had not been penalized the way it was. So that goes back to what you're talking about though, is unfair, unfair criticism where it's like, don't commit a penalty. And all of a sudden you have a good drive going like that second and 18 was because they committed a penalty on the first down. Like don't commit penalties. Don't take bad. Tannehill took a couple bad sacks. Tannehill threw a screw, screen to whoever Hilliard or McNichols. I don't remember who it was when it was like 
he was already being swallowed up by the defense. Like just dirt that one, spike it at somebody's feet. Tannehill don't, don't give, don't let your running back get tackled for an eight yard loss. Like that's crazy. So, and he, and he had one other play where he should have thrown the ball away. He was held it for a long time. My least favorite play call besides the two that I mentioned on that second and, and 10, third and eight sequence at the 22 yard line was AJ Brown's pass. Because as we already touched yeah. on, like, like the ball one. was moving there. You don't need to pull out a trick play here. They're lucky AJ didn't throw an interception. Now he did sure. rocket that ball downfield, but I mean, it was a diving interception attempt that was almost made. So I, I am not on the fire Todd Downing train at all. I don't think he is as brilliant and innovative as Art Smith was, but I don't think that he's like this non-creative, like dumb idiot who doesn't know what he's doing. Like the Titans offense before Henry, AJ, and Julio got hurt was averaging 30 points per game. Like that was Todd Downing calling those plays too. It wasn't somebody different calling those plays earlier in the season. So if you're going to give him any credit for that, which he deserves, then you have to give him some credit for even being able to like, like make a plan every week, knowing that his offensive line, like the Titans were missing two starters on the left side. R- Dylan Radins, his first start ever. Aaron Brewer has not been very good in pass protection and got run over in this game as well. He's making the game plans that are trying to hide these deficiencies, throwing to Cody Hollister and Nick Westbrook Akine for most of the season. Like that's Fitzpatrick, Racy McMath. And don't forget one thing you, you slightly forgot to mention there's not only really missing both starters on the left side, but the expected uh, replacement left tackle, Kendall Lamb, tested positive for COVID, I think, the morning of the game, I think yeah. it may have been. So they were really dealing with a lot. I think the last thing I'll say about this topic, and I think because I think you and I are pretty much in full agreement here, is that execution has been off. He's dealt with a lot. Look, uh, David you know, Kissenberry hasn't been very good in pass protection this season. That's something Todd Downing has had to deal with that Art Smith, Art Smith didn't have to deal with last year, right, where Dennis Kelly was pretty good. Terry Lewan has taken a step back. I know he missed the majority of last season, but he has not played well in pass protection particularly. Heck, truth, the truth be told, even Roger Saffold has struggled in pass protection. Uh, Nate Davis uh, has been a disaster in pass pro for the majority of the season. He is starting to play better now, and that's really encouraging to see because if he's going to get hot and, and, and figure it out at any moment, now's the time, right, as you head into the playoffs <laughs> here. But those are situations that have um, held the execution back, not to mention the injury, losing Derrick Henry, losing A.J. Brown for the stretch. If you look at uh, – I'm, I'm so glad you brought it up because I, I didn't think you were going to for some reason, but you go back to week two against Seattle. They scored 33 points. Uh, week five against Jacksonville, 37. This was their best stretch of the year. Week six against Buffalo, 34. Week seven against Kansas City, 27 to three. Those all happened with Todd Downing at offensive coordinator. Exactly. And they all happened when this offense was healthy. So probably been a bit of a victim of recency bias. Don't forget what they accomplished and achieved when they were healthy uh, down that amazing stretch, right? Middle of the season. And I'll end by agreeing with you. Is he as good as Arthur Smith? Heck no. I think Arthur Smith was one of the best though. And I still, th- and heck, Arthur Smith's, overachieving in Atlanta right now. I don't know how that team, I, I know their losses have been ugly, but I don't even know how that team is in playoff contention. You had them penned for three, four, five wins this season, right? And they've got six or seven or eight or whatever it is. Seven. No now. one saw that coming, right? This season in Atlanta. So uh, credit Arthur Smith for that. But no, Todd Downing is not good as Arthur Smith, but he's not a disaster either. Yeah, Falcons seven and eight, fighting for the seven seed in the, in the NFC over there. And don't forget, Todd Downing also had to like pivot midseason from a one back, like one of the very, very few single back systems in the NFL, not like single back formation, but like one running back carries the ball. Also lost Darrington Evans before the season even really started. Um, 
No, that, they, uh, is that true? I think Evans was back. He just, he was so forgettable. He missed the first remember. few games and then he yeah. came back for like one game and then he was put on IR again and missed the rest of the year. But pivoting from using one running back that you know you can feed to figuring out how to shuffle three guys in and out of the lineup, two guys, three guys, depending on who's healthy. McNichols been in and out. Like it's been a lot to deal with. So I think I'm definitely like not, not saying that I'm trying to defend every call he's ever made, but no giving him the benefit of the doubt and cutting him some slack here. And let's see what this team does in the postseason because when they get Derrick Henry back, which is coming soon, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with again. He is truthfully probably league average. I think that's a fair assessment of Todd Downing. He is league average. And when you have superstars that make great plays on offense, you can definitely win a Super Bowl with a league average coordinator, especially if the defense continues to make plays like they are. So the Titans now sitting in the two seed, the Patriots losing over the weekend to Buffalo, Kansas city, just destroying the Steelers and making Titans fans so sad that they lost that game to Pittsburgh last week, because if they hadn't, they'd be sitting in the one seed right now, but the chiefs play the Bengals this week. The Bengals have had a little surge of their own. Bengals now up to the three seed in the AFC Bengals versus chiefs. If the Bengals beat the chiefs this weekend and the Titans win out, the Titans will get the one seed. So it's definitely still very much in play. Titans fans will be rooting hard for Cincinnati this week. There's no one else that is a threat to take the one seed. It's either going to be Kansas city or Tennessee, which we may have been surprised to say six weeks ago, 10 weeks ago, we'd have been really maybe surprised to say, but at this point it seems pretty clear. So that's what the Titans have to root for. If you had to put a percentage on it right now, what would you say the percent is that the Titans end up in that one seed? I will say 35%. I like that number. I'm going to say, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to agree. 35%. Chiefs most likely beat the Bengals, but it's not a shoe in by any means. And who knows who's going to test positive for COVID on like Friday of this week and like throw everything out of whack. So who knows how that goes. As we look at the playoffs right now, Transitioning to this weekend's game, Titans in the two seed, if the playoffs started today, they would play the seven seed Miami Dolphins, which they happen to play on the schedule this week. Let's get into our interview with Travis Wingfield. He is the host of the Drive Time podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network and a staff writer at MiamiDolphins.com. Obviously knows the team very well. Travis, thank you for joining us tonight. How are you doing? Good, man. Uh, not a lot of sleep after a primetime game covering them out here on the East Coast. Puts you up pretty late and getting the turnaround for the the All-22 podcast and all the fun stuff we do to cover the victory. So not much sleep, but I'm excited to talk to you guys. Big game coming up this week. It certainly is. It was fun seeing the Dolphins on primetime with the, knowing that the Titans were going to play them. I guess the Titans and the Dolphins both played primetime games this past week. Pretty interesting scheduling quirk there that the Titans get like three extra days of rest and the Dolphins get one fewer than a typical week, but that is just how it goes sometimes. So I'm going to turn it over to Justin for our first question here as we get into this game preview. Yeah, really appreciate you joining us, Travis. Uh, this Dolphins game and this team to me is a really intriguing one, so I'm really looking forward to picking your brain. Uh, I think the first question is probably rather straightforward. Uh, Miami has turned it around recently in, in stunning fashion. And the, the play of quarterback uh, Tua Tungavailoa is obviously kind of at the heart of that, at the center of it all. Um, what do you make of how he's played down the stretch? And do you think he's done enough to maybe quiet down some of the chatter of them potentially replacing him this coming offseason? Yeah, you know, I think that, that the chatter about roster moves or different types of 
directions the Dolphins can go. They're not going to necessarily going to get controlled by the Dolphins in the sense that they're going to be consistent in the way they, their messaging is with, you know, they're going to explore players that are available that they believe can help them in every capacity and whatever that might be. And that's kind of what they came out and said after, you know, Chris Greer, Dolphins general manager came to the podium and addressed those, those questions and, and, and really put, put out a lot of the fires that were out there just to kind of get out in front of that stuff. So I think that when it comes to what the future might hold, I mean, they're always going to look to upgrade the team, but as far as what two has done to kind of plant his flag and kind of earn his spot here with the Miami Dolphins, I think has just really, really been the key factor as far as that offense is concerned. There hasn't been a much of a running game. He's been dealing with a lot of pressure on, in terms of the opposing pass rush coming into his face. And he makes a lot of quick decisions with regards to the RPO game and kind of the quick decision game. And it's all based upon putting conflict on multiple defenders. And that's kind of at Tua's peril. Now, I don't think he's quite 100% there making all the right reads about give it here, take this first option, take the third, whatever the case may be. He's not all the way there yet. But he's a 23-year-old quarterback who's really not had a ton of game experience when you consider his college time. that He wasn't very long there at Alabama and now just one full season here with the Dolphins. So I think that there's a lot of discourse out there about Tua, but I think he continues to show you that he plays really his best ball when the chips are down. He's a super accurate quarterback. His teammates love playing for him. And there's a really good level of pocket presence and management that's there that I think is required for the modern day quarterback. So as you guys can tell, I'm rather bullish on him. I, I, I think that this microwave society with quarterbacks is out of control. And I think he's like the poster boy of that. And it just kind of sticks in my cross. Yeah. sometimes. No doubt. I, you mentioned his pocket presence. I think that was one of his strongest traits coming out. And I don't know how the dolphins have done as far as building an offensive line that can give him the chance to utilize that pocket presence, but you touched on the running game there, and I want to ask about that because we saw Duke Johnson come up a couple weeks ago and take on the majority of the workload. Last night, he handled a lot of carries, not super productive carries. We know the Saints' run defense is very good, but we saw Miles Gaskin get not that much work. And I'm curious, like, what's going on with the Dolphins' running game? Are they just trying to find a back that can navigate a poor run blocking situation, or is this does this fall to the offensive line, or? Why can the Dolphins not run the ball? <laughs> I'm sure you guys will appreciate this, but Brian Flores today talked about how the, the Saints front was a pretty big challenge and that it's not going to get any easier with Jeffrey Simmons up front, which the Tennessee Tickle Monsters, by the way, I that was my vote 100% of the way, just so you guys know. But uh, mm. those those guys, they're, they're really good too. And so with the running game, I mean – yeah, you mentioned Miles kind of got relegated to third duty there in terms of the, the the work the work share. He did play a pretty significant amount of the snaps. I think it was only like actually he played more than Philip Lindsay did in the game on Monday. He just got far less carries. So and he's always been really kind of adept in this pass receiving role. And you know, not to compare the players, but just in terms of the role, he, he kind of has this James White type of impact that I think he can make in the passing game with the screen game, the kind of some of the angle routes and the out routes and stuff like that. So I think he still has some value in terms of that work share, but I think they're going to try to find a way to get all these guys involved because at, at different points of the season, Miles has looked like the best back on the team. Philip Lindsay for one game looked like he was the best back on the team than Duke Johnson kind of has as well. So I think they're going to find a way to mix all those guys in and just put them in a position what they do to do what they do best. And for all three of those guys are kind of different things, I think. 
I want to talk a little about the rookie class, Travis, because, you know, I'm a draft guy through and through. And, and I don't know that there's a more impressive class uh, so far, this 2021 deal than Miami's. You know, they're getting those guys on the field. They've been very productive for them. Uh, I want to, I do want to talk about Jalen Waddle, of course, but firstly, I want to know a little about Jalen Phillips and Javon Holland, two of those defensive studs that they took early, both of them being top 36 selections. Uh, what have you seen from those guys? Because fr from what I've seen, they've been outstanding. Yeah, you mentioned the rookie class and I light up, man. I've, I've been waiting for a rookie class like this one for a long time because it's it's been pretty special so far. And just starting off with Javon Holland, I mean, you guys have, I'm sure you've seen the numbers and the defensive turnaround. I, I think that there was something that came to that with him playing more of a kind of center field quarterback of the defense role because that was one of the traits they liked about him coming out of Oregon was that he was this a-plus type of leader, communicator, guy that just kind of got things and was mature beyond his years. I mean, Brian Flores, after the draft after draft night, praised him. And that he's not one to do that. He's usually these guys have a lot of work to do to get in here and, and become impact players. And then you mentioned Jalen Phillips, and this is a stat I've been obsessed with for the last 24 hours or so, that Miami, since their winning streak began, has the highest percentage of sacks when rushing four or fewer. So we all know about the blitz packages they run, but they're getting home with four-man rushes. And Emmanuel Ogba is a huge part of that. Christian Wilkins has been a big part of that. Zach Sealer, Raquan Davis, Adam Butler have been a big part of that, but so has Jalen Phillips. Should mention Andrew Van Ginkle as well, but Jalen Phillips has been a big part of that. He's quarterback hits, quarterback knockdown sacks. He's getting a lot of double team attention as well, which I think is kind of says a lot about how opponents view him, that they're going to put two guys or chip him because if he goes one-on-one, -on -one, he'll either convert speed to power. Or he'll kind of cross chop you or sweat. Like he's got multiple moves to get after the quarterback. So he, Ogba and Van Ginkle off the edge have been really big problems for really seven weeks now. Uh, shout out to Javon Holland, fellow Canadian. You know, I'm Canadian. Only good things come out of Canada. Myself, Holland, love it. maple syrup and bears. Shout out the bears. Lots of bears here in Canada. But uh, I do want to ask about uh, Jalen Waddle, of course, because I actually was tasked with writing about him earlier this week. You know, he's up to 96 catches on the year, 941 yards, 96 catches. I mean, that puts him in elite company right up there with Justin Jefferson, Keenan Allen, uh, even Tyreek Hill. So what he's doing is special. One thing that really stood out to me is throughout Miami's active, of course, seven game winning streak. He's averaging eight catches per game and 88 yards per game. Now that came in six appearances because of course he missed the one game uh, due to COVID. Uh, but when you look at the, the seven game losing streak, it, it was a lot different, right? He was not getting nearly in, in, as involved. The target share was down compared to what it is now. What have you seen from Waddle and how much of his emergence do you directly tie to Miami's newfound success in the passing game? Oh man, he's, he's a special player since really since day one on training camp, just watching the way he moves, you could tell it was different. And I think I talked to the receivers coach a, a couple months ago and he said that there was a playback in OTAs where they were like, okay, <laughs> this is a little bit different than what we've, we've seen around here. And, you know, he's just kind of progressed that way and shown up that way. And what he does in terms of the tough catches into tight zones and to kind of protect himself and get extra yardage and fall after the catch. Like he just does all these little things that you appreciate in addition to the big playability, which I don't even think has, they haven't even scraped the surface on what he's capable of in the vertical passing game. I mean, he's, he's getting open. He's stacking defensive backs with speed to burn. And like, there's so many plays where you have a chance to possibly get to him, but for one reason or another, it's just not available to him, whether it's 
a missed throw or protection breaks down or we, you know, the ball gets checked down earlier on a low to high read, whatever the case may be, like there is so much meat on the bone for Jalen Waddle. And you mentioned what has his inclusion meant in terms of how this offense has kind of surged and the, the team in general has won games. Uh, he's He's been the focal point. I think you saw it in the Jets game where they were a little bit slow to get things going out of the mud early on in that game. And if you watch some of the big plays this team has made, some touchdowns and things of that nature, like it's because attention is kind of gravitating towards number 17 and opens things up for other guys. So he's he's the focal point for all of it, a lot of the shifts and motions and things they do. And he's proving well worth, you know, the sixth draft pick in the draft. And Miami got him an additional first round pick in that kind of move down, move back up situation. So you really can't be happier with how that turned out. And he's he's everything that we thought he could be, I think. Wow. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about Miami's offense here, and I kind of want to flip over to the other side of the ball because as much as Waddle and Tua have played well to help key Miami's seven game winning streak, I feel like the defense is really, and we mentioned the rookies, but the defense has really been outstanding. I know personally, because I've been starting them in my fantasy football league, they scored 30 points for me last night, put me in the championship game. So (laughs) they have been awesome, but Coupled with this win streak, these past seven games, I was just looking into a little bit because you always have the question in the NFL, is it is this team really good? Are they benefiting from a favorable schedule? Or is it most likely the usual case is somewhere in the middle? But the list of quarterbacks the Dolphins have played over the last seven games, Tyrod Taylor, Lamar Jackson, obviously former MVP, and we want to get a little bit more into detail about Miami's game plan that game because it was pretty unique. But then Joe Flacco, a combination of Cam Newton and P.J. Walker, in the last three weeks have been Mike Glennon, Zach Wilson, who's struggled immensely as a rookie, and Ian Book last night, who was just really, really terrible. So I want to know, from your perspective, do you think Miami's defense has really – I mean, obviously they're playing really well. Can they play really well, assuming this team ends up in the seventh seed and goes on a – into the playoffs against a playoff caliber opponent, will they continue to have the success they've had? Or is this more a result of the schedule that they've played? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's the competition certainly matters. And I I know that you can say the whole cliche, like every game, you know, you never know what can happen in the NFL and we can point back to all the upsets that have happened this season. And so it, it, it is, you know, worth mentioning they take care of business when they need to, but also, I mean, you'd be foolish to not think that like, you're not facing Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and, and you know, Josh Allen. You know, like the big test for the Dolphins has always seemingly been Josh Allen, and that's one they still haven't quite passed. Although, if you look back to the game right before the winning streak began, they kind of started picking things up in that game. They were pressuring Josh early in that game, and he wasn't really to be effective with the, with his legs or throwing the ball through the air. And then he kind of got cranking in the fourth quarter and pulled away, and that game got ugly late as a result. But I think that there were signs of it early on. I think going back to kind of that idea about being able to do multiple things, because last year, I think they were really dependent on the zero pressure look. And, you know, you mentioned the Lamar Jackson game like that. That's what they did all came long. They, they came after him. They came after him. And they just had no answer in that one. And then kind of the same deal with Ian book on Monday night, but there, there's been a good mix in there of some, some man and zone looks. There's been a lot of four man pressure, three man pressure. Where they drop eight into coverage and, you know, get a win that way. So it's been a little bit of everything, but, I mean, you know, veteran quarterbacks like the guys I mentioned earlier typically can, if you can't fool them, then that changes the equation, right? So they've been doing a, doing a really good job lately of fooling the opposing quarterback. And I think they can, can they can keep that going against some of the quarterbacks they might see coming up. We'll see how that how they match up with them. But yeah, it, I think it's worth mentioning. Like you, you say, is it a little bit of, is it fair to say this or that? Like a little bit of both, but 
I, I am curious to see what they can do. And I'm glad they're in a position now to actually have a chance to do it and have it matter towards, you know, relevant games here in January. I think we're going to see a lot of kind of simulated pressures types of lots of bodies around the line of scrimmage. Who knows who's actually going to come because this Titans offensive line has not been particularly good in pass protection. They had a great night on Thursday against the Niners and the Niners have a ferocious front, which was an encouraging sign for this Titans offensive line, especially down a couple of starters on the left side. But I expect Miami to try and test them and to try to see what they can pull off as far as running some kind of stunts and games and confusing the, the offensive linemen, especially Taylor Lewan has not been activated off the COVID list. He has a few days, of course, but if he's still out and, we're, and we see rookie Dylan Radins on the left side again, things could get really interesting. But you have something, Justin? Yeah, I, I do want to add a quick note, uh, just a little something to add to the conversation. It's funny how well Travis was answering that question. He said, you know, it, it's sometimes a cliche, but any given Sunday, anything can happen in the NFL. Here we are somewhat criticizing Miami for, for that run of quarterbacks that you mentioned. Tennessee Titans lost two games to the quarterbacks on that <laughs> list, right? They lost to Rod Taylor in Houston and they lost to Zach Wilson in, in New York, right? So here they are 10 and five, but, but Travis is absolutely right. Anything can happen in the NFL. It's, no it's doubt been about a crazy it. Year. Hey, I, I had a quick question for you guys real quick, just kind of to that point, if you don't mind me kind of like comment during the yeah. podcast here a little bit, but you know, we, obviously we know Ryan Tannehill very well down here. I mean, I, I, I tell people all the time, there's no player I've watched more because the discourse on Tannehill in Miami, I'm sure you guys have seen it in Tennessee for seven years. Never want to do that again. Like it's, <laughs> it's worse than like the mask, the, the every debate you can imagine that was the worst one. And so I, I was just curious because when he was down here, you know, one thing that he didn't do particularly well was get away from the free hitter, like make that first initial move against the, the wave of pass rushes that you can kind of send in a blitz. I was just curious because he's obviously played really, really well for the Titans. I'm a huge fan of his game, but has he, has he gotten better in that sense to you guys in terms of making that first free rusher kind of sidestep him? I would say probably not a strength. No. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny you graver in my mind, I would say it was stronger last year and the year before than it's been this year, but he's also been sacked 41, I think 41 <laughs> times already this season or for, something ridiculous. So, I would almost say he's taken a step back this year more so because don't you find he's a little bit more, I don't want to say seeing ghosts, but he, he doesn't trust the protection as much as he has in previous years. You know what I mean? I agree. I actually think the play he made on Thursday night where he stepped up in the pocket and ran for like 20, 30 yards mm -hmm. was one of his best like moves in the pocket that I've seen him make this entire year. I feel like it's usually Put him in field just, goal range. Yeah. I mean, that was a huge play for the team, but also just like for him individually to get out of that pressure and find positive yardage. I feel like he likes to just like roll out and then throw it away or I don't know. I'm thinking all the way back to week one now, but like Chandler Jones was had free rushes at him multiple times in that game. And it was like, one of them was a strip sack fumble that yeah. the Titans lost the ball. First and like, play of the game, I think. Yeah. And I feel like he, he kind of, he doesn't really do like the, the Tony Romo, Tom Brady thing where he just drops. He, he never really does that, but he does just kind of like, Oh, I know. Cut the ball and <laughs> let the guy hit him in the back or something. <laughs> Take the hit. I, I laugh when Justin mentioned the 41 sacks. I, I couldn't hold contain myself because that's that was his entire career. That, that dude just got hit and got hit. I know exactly what you're talking about. And that was like my biggest thing that I loved about him was how freaking tough that dude was to keep getting up and keep getting up. And the only time they knocked him out was when 
big old 300 pound Calais Campbell crash into his plant leg. And that was the only time he ever missed time. And it caused, you know, him to miss quite a few games and was the beginning of the end for him in Miami. But man, he's, he's a tough dude. I'm, I'm going to knock on wood as I say this, but it's, it's, it's astounding that he hasn't gotten hurt because yeah, I, I like the, it, the pass protection is horrid. It really is. And he's just, he's, that toughness has been on display. He's hanging in the pocket. Like the amount of times where I've held my breath to make sure he's about to get up. Like it's, it's been crazy. And not, he got up on Thursday, kind of like doing this a little bit with his shoulder, like moving his shoulder around and like feeling his collarbone. And I was like, is he okay? And then he stayed in, he played well for the rest of the game. So I think he was okay, but he's a tough dude. No doubt about it. Um, I kind of want to ask what you think of this, how you think this game will go expectation wise. If you have like a score prediction, we will take a score prediction, but we're not going to require that by any means, but just how you think this game kind of unfolds low scoring, high scoring, and uh, who, who you think comes out on top at the end. Well, to, to your point earlier, the question I asked you about his ability to get away from the free hitter, uh, you mentioned kind of the inexperience and being down some guys on the offensive line. To me, Miami's going to get those. They've, they've been getting those for half of a season now. And it's, it's put a lot of quarterbacks that haven't been able to handle it in peril, and it's caused some sacks, some takeaways. I mean, the number one sack team, number one QB hit team, and that includes the, the eight games where they were one and seven. So, like, they've come on so strong in the seven games. They've managed to put themselves in good standing in terms of their defensive ranks. So I think they're going to get those free hitters. Can Tannehill make them miss? Do you have a guy that can uncover quickly that can be a hot option for him? I know A.J. Brown's back. I'm not thrilled about that because that dude's a monster. But can Xavier Howard lock him down? Does Byron Jones get some looks? Do they bracket? Do they go one-on-one elsewhere? They have options because this defense is deep at all three levels. They can rotate rushers on the interior, on the exterior, at linebacker. The defensive backfield super deep. We'll see about COVID. Brandon Jones is on the COVID list, which that, you know, I hope I hope that doesn't make this game like one of these weird games. I, yeah. I want to see these two teams match up. So we'll see what happens there. So I think hook that- Hook them horns be, for Brandon Jones. <laughs> there you man. go. That's, that's what's up. <laughs> I think it's going to be tough sledding for the Titans offensively. So then I, it comes down to how many plays can the Dolphins offense make against that Titans defense. And then I look at like the matchup the Saints had on the Dolphins offensive line. And I see the, the Titans maybe having some same, same impact as far as the tickle monsters go with uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Simmons and boys up there. So I, I think we're looking at a kind of a, a rock fight, a slug them out game. That's why I tech, I DM'd you earlier, Justin, like, Hey, is Derek Henry playing? Cause uh, don't let him for one more week. <laughs> so I think it's going to be, I think it'll be a tight, low scoring games, you know, a bunch of punches thrown back and forth and, and uh, whoever can make the most plays in critical moments, red zone, third down, which Miami's been pretty good at, I think will win the games. And also what's your kicking situation like too? Cause I think that'll be important in this game. Right. Randy Bullock's been okay. I think he's been pretty good recently. I mean, he's still a journeyman kicker that they signed this year, but he's been pretty good. Right been pretty good all year truthfully like i i hear the hesitancy to give him credit in your voice braver because you don't you don't trust him <laughs> yet i get it because you're always thinking it's randy bullock it's randy bullock but the truth is he's been really damn good he's not in the kicker club though is he no nah, he's not in dan's kicker club <laughs> not. all right well travis thank you so much for your time really enjoyed this conversation inside into this dolphins team i think this is going to be a closer game i feel like a lot of Titans fans at least are still kind of thinking of the Dolphins as the week eight Dolphins and they haven't really, you know, considered that this team has gotten a lot better over the last seven games. And so this is going to be a close game. I agree with your assessment there. I think it's a low scoring close affair. So we will see what happens on Sunday, but thanks again for your time. Make sure you guys out there are following Travis on Twitter at Wingfield NFL, get the Dolphins perspective during this game because you're going to want it because 
Titans perspective, look, Titans Twitter, you guys got to calm down during the game. I mean, goodness gracious, like <laughs> one bad drive and it's like game over. We lost. But um, yeah, you guys follow Travis on Twitter and hope you enjoy the game this weekend. Good luck to the Dolphins. Maybe we'll see this matchup again in a few weeks. Round one of the playoffs. Very likely. That, that's the hope, man. That'd be awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. A lot of fun. Enjoy the podcast. Enjoy all your work, Justin. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much, Travis. All right. Thanks again to Travis for his time and insight there. Really enjoyed that conversation. And I want to turn it to you now. Do you have a score prediction for this game? I will go. This is a really tough one for me. I will go Titans win 17-13. I like that. I, I think everything we just talked about there, low scoring, defensive battle, whoever makes the most plays late when it counts the most. I'm going to take Tannehill and Vrabel and the Titans in those situations over Tua and the Dolphins, who can't really run the ball very well. If the Dolphins do end up with a lead late, I don't think that they're going to be able to hold it very well. They're not going to be able to like bleed the clock out against this Titans front, even if Danico Autry and Bud Dupree are not back for this game. I think the Titans defense is going to be able to stop the run. Zach Cunningham's playing out of his mind since joining the Titans. I mean, this is a huge acquisition for the team. But I do fear if the receiving core is what it is right now on Tuesday night with all these guys on the COVID list, that this could be a turnover fest kind of game for the Titans. Now, I, I'm going to say I think this is a game the Titans should win. I think they're a better team. But they're at home. They've had three or four days more rest. One thing we should mention, sorry to cut you off, but I wish I had the official numbers in front of me, but Mike Vrabel is something ridiculous record-wise when coming off an extended rest. So either a, a bye week or a Thursday night game. He is like eight or nine and oh, I think it's something stupid. And it's a Ryan Tannehill revenge game. We didn't even get into that. Oh yes, it's a Ryan Tannehill revenge game. He doesn't get to go back to Miami to play there, but he gets Miami to come here to play against them and say, you guys never should have traded me for a fourth round pick. I mean, looking While back. paying that's... part of my salary to get me out of town. <laughs> Most of it, five Most of the of seven it. million. Um, yeah, so here's what I'll say is if the Titans can avoid turning the ball over like something crazy, like three times in 10 plays or anything like that, if they can avoid the ca- costly turnovers because this Dolphins defense will force them, they, they are opportunistic and they will be flying around and they will try to force some turnovers in this game. I think they're going to pressure the Titans a lot. I think if A.J. Brown's the only receiver that's healthy, they're going to run a lot of that cover zero blitz stuff like they did against the Baltimore Ravens. I think that's what we can expect to see from this Dolphins defense. So Titans just got to protect the ball, take care of the ball, long, slow drives down the field, don't need anything crazy, win a 13-10 game, that's perfectly fine. Just get out of this game with a win, clinch the AFC South, hope that the Chiefs lose, and you could be looking at the one seed. That's where I'm going with this. So I say 13-10 Titans. And maybe you get Derrick Henry back for week 18 against Houston. Who knows? Maybe so. On Mon- in Monday's press conference, Vrabel was asked, do you think any of the players who are on IR could be designated to return this week? And he said something like, I don't think so. Or something. I don't know. Something Great. Like I love the question. You just, you knew that Vrabel knew exactly what the question was in reference to, but I love that whoever asked it, Try to be sly about it by not mentioning Henry by name. Right, exactly. Yeah, that was who nice. else is even um, on IR at this point that they would designate to <laughs> I don't even know. I literally don't know who that could be. Like that they actually that would actually be worthy of asking about. Yeah, like Jackson, conference. Chris Jackson is back. Uh, all these guys are back, right? All the other guys are on COVID IR. They're not on the real IR. Right. So that's what I will say. There is um, Henry. 
not activated as of this recording, unlikely to be designated no. to return this week. It would have been nice to like get him back at practice this week, even if he wasn't going to play on Sunday. But I think next week is that, looking week extremely likely that next week Henry will be designated to return. Will he play week 18 versus Houston? Who knows? But he could be activated before the playoffs start. And that's what counts. All right. Before we leave, I have a review to read. A shout Ooh. out to give. It's been a few weeks since we did this, but we got a review in. And I will shout out the person who shouted us out on the Apple Podcast review page with a five-star review, Naderade, like Nate, like Gatorade, but Nate. Naderade underscore 23 says, true X's and O's, phenomenal draft coverage. Ever since Justin and Justin started doing their own thing, I've been a consistent listener of the show. We are extremely blessed to have a plethora of Titans podcasters and media members, but what sets J&J apart is their film breakdown and draft coverage. This podcast was made for football nerds. Y'all are some of my go-to people throughout the year for in-depth Titans coverage. Keep up the great work, boys. Thanks, Nate. We really appreciate that review. Let's get a beer sometimes, Nate. That's a fantastic review. We would love to get a beer, talk about the draft, talk about some X's and O's. Next time we're both in Nashville, if that ever, that'll happen someday. It'll Maybe happen. We'll be it there. happen someday. Let's go to the playoffs. Let's see what happens. All right. I'm not allowed <laughs> to leave the country right now, I don't think. But hey, we'll, we'll see what happens. One day post-COVID, I got my booster today. My arm's a little sore, but I feel fine otherwise. I tested negative today, COVID negative, which is amazing because I'm staying right now. Listen to this, people. I'm staying in my parents' house for Christmas. Both of my parents have tested positive for COVID. My mom tested positive again today. My dad tested positive a couple days ago. They both had it for over a week. They're both fine, nothing to be concerned about. My mom has literally no symptoms at all. My dad had some mild symptoms, but he's feeling a lot better now. I have had to wear a mask inside the house 24 seven, except for when I'm upstairs locked in this room, eating all my meals outside on the patio. I cannot get COVID. I do not want to get COVID. And I tested negative today. It's a miracle, a Christmas miracle. Somehow I'm doing okay. Wow, you really persevered. That's I'm so impressed. Right, I have persevered. It's been uh, it's been quite a Christmas. Not the Christmas I my, envisioned. My my, uh, I've got uh, so many people in my family right now that are that have tested COVID positive as well. Late over the last two weeks or so, it's exploded here in Canada as well. I mean, as it has all over the the whole world. But I too have been lucky to avoid it thus far. Uh, throughout this whole time, this two, three years, I've, I've never tested positive. So uh, everyone stay safe out there and uh, better day, regardless of how you feel about it, better days are ahead, surely. I totally agree. And I would advise everyone to get your booster because apparently it's 80% effective against the Omicron variant. That's just something I read. Who knows if it's true and who knows how you guys all feel about vaccines, but I would say get vaccinated. All right, that'll do it for this show. We'll be back next week to preview the Final game on the Titans schedule. They're playing the Texans in Houston. And we will also recap this weekend's game against Miami. Until then. Do they then, always play? I don't want to cut you off. Do they always play yeah. Houston week 18 in Houston? I feel like it's like. It, at least the last two, maybe an three An annual years. thing. It's probably not an annual thing, but it sure as hell feels Well, like. there was that one year against the Colts uh, that was like a New Year's Eve game. The Mariota nerve issue and Blaine Gabbard yeah, started. Blaine that was already played. years ago, though. Yeah, that was, that was. Um, but I remember play, I remember them playing Houston in week 17 before that game also. I remember Jarrell yes. Casey like had a, had a, a safety in the end zoners. Like this was going way back. Like the Texans had already locked up the division. The Titans weren't good. And the Texans benched all their starters and the Titans beat them in a week 17 game. This is Matt like, Castle started that game, didn't he? Yes, there you go. Yeah. Jarrell Casey scored a defensive touchdown in it. 
that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, there you go. All right. Until next week, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.